Our scripture today is from Jeremiah 29, starting in verse 1. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests and the prophets and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning and uh, welcome to the Leva Campus. I'm Tom and uh, so delighted you're here and also want to give my special appreciation to all you veterans uh, for your sacrifice to all of us. As someone who travels quite a bit, let me just say right up front, there is no place like home. I enjoy visiting new places, I do as I travel and meeting new people, at least most of them. But transparently, my favorite drive it's not to KCI International, International Airport, it is driving home from KCI. And uh, my favorite vacations usually are staycations. Do I sound boring? To some of you, amazingly boring. But I admit it, right in front of you all this morning, I am a homebody. But I'm not alone. I was looking at BuzzFeed recently, and uh, BuzzFeed gives us 19 signs to tell if you really are a true homebody. Now, I'll spare you the 19, but you want to know the top three? Maybe you can relate to this. Number one, you have ordered delivery way too many times to your home. Number two, you look forward to rainy weekends because you watch an NCIS marathon. <laughs> Third, every night there are lots of crumbs in your bed everywhere. <laughs> Any homebodies here this morning? You don't have to raise your hand. But homebody or not, I want to suggest you don't have to be a homebody to love being at home. Whether you are more of an introvert or extrovert, whether you're more structured or spontaneous or, as I call, rut or patterned, as I am, there is no place like home, right? There's something about home that woos our hearts and nourishes our spirits. Home is that place of belonging, that place of familiarity, that place we feel safe, that place we can put up our feet and be ourselves, that place where we can hang out with the ones we love most. Home is something we all long for. But the inconvenient and raw truth is that our home life is not always what we hope for. And life is often not lived at home. Sometimes we are far away from home. And the question for us is, how do we live life then? This is the question the prophet Jeremiah addresses to us in our text this morning. 
When we scroll back in history, God's covenant people find themselves far, far away from home. Jerusalem has been raised to rubble, and they have made a 700-mile trek to the city of Babylon. As they enter Babylon, life is massively different than Jerusalem. God's covenant people are confronted with a brand new culture, new language, new food, new smells, new sights, new sounds. They are now a marginalized people. They are a small, tiny, powerless minority in a large, powerful city. The question is, how should they live far away from home? It is a question we must ask as well. Because like God's covenant people of old, we too find ourselves far away from our ultimate home. As followers of Jesus, the Bible tells us we too live in exile. And in many ways, our nation increasingly looks and feels a whole lot like Babylon. The church is increasingly marginalized in our culture. For some, the church is privately engaging, yes, but for many, the church is publicly irrelevant. For many, and increasingly in our culture, at best the church is perceived as sort of a quaint historical curiosity. And increasingly it is seen by many in our culture as an impediment to human freedom and human progress. In these times of a growing cultural secularity, the question how we should as 21st century exiles live becomes even more compelling. And should we make ourselves at home, away from home? If you brought a Bible, I'd like you to turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 29, the book in the Old Testament, Jeremiah, it's kind of right in the middle. This morning we are going to discover three very crucial and timeless reminders for living life well in exile. That is, how do we flourish away from home? These are the three and the focal point of the structure of the message this morning. I'd like to give those to you first. I think that might help you follow along or take notes mentally or with a piece of paper or on your iPad. First, we're going to look at the first reminder, and that is to trust the sovereign God. To trust the sovereign God. On the heels of that is secondly, to pursue the common good. And three, to embrace true hope. This is the flow of Jeremiah 29. Let's dive in. First, as exiles, to flourish, we are to trust a sovereign God. Now, if your Bible is open, if you are understanding the flow of Jeremiah, we have to look specifically at the contextual terrain of chapter 29. And here we discover, as we look around it, that this prophetic letter is sandwiched between two prophetic lies. And under the surface for several chapters is this underlying question. When would the exiles be able to go home? Will their stay in Babylon be a long stay or a short one? Now, what we notice in the context is the prophet Hananiah, highlighted in chapter 28, specifically verse 15, says that Babylon, their trip to Babylon, and their stay in Babylon is going to be short. In fact, if you look carefully at the text, it'll say two years. But also, the prophet Shemaiah emphasized in the last part of Jeremiah 29, beginning in verse 31, right, says the same thing. But Jeremiah's prophecy is sandwiched between these two lies, these two false hopes. 
Jeremiah is going to say, throughout this section of Jeremiah, you're going to be in Babylon a long time. Not two years. Get this, 70. And Jeremiah is going to say, don't trust Hananiah and Shemaiah's lies. They are tickling your ears, giving you what you want to hear. You need to hear what you need to hear. Don't trust in their false hopes that you're going to be home soon. Instead, Jeremiah says here in 29, trust in the sovereign God who has orchestrated all actors in the human equation for you to be in Babylon. Notice here in verse 4 that Jeremiah emphasizes God's sovereignty. Verse 4, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles who have I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. In the original language, the causational aspect of being sent is even stronger than in English. The idea here is that they are not in Babylon by accident. While there is dearly a good sense of mystery of human freedom and God's choice in all this, what is not a mystery in the text is their deportment to Babylon is not accidental. Ultimately, the ultimate cause was not the strong armies of Babylon that took them there. It was an omnipotent God. Now, notice again in verse 7 how Jeremiah repeats this theme, that God has sovereignly taken them there. In other words, he's saying, God is not sitting in heaven. You're sitting in Babylon saying, oops. He's not wringing his hands. It is not an accident that you are in Babylon right now. And I think we need to stop and pause across time and say the same thing about our lives. Wherever God has placed you, it is not accidental you are there. Whether your life circumstances are bright or bleak or in between, you are in exile as a follower of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, and you are not at home yet. But God has placed you exactly where he wants you to be right now. That's what the sovereignty of God means. And we need to understand as we flourish in exile in our cultural context that God is either sovereign or he's not. And if he's not sovereign, he is not the God of Holy Scripture. From Genesis to Revelation, he is portrayed as being absolutely sovereign over everything. So the question for us right away in this text is either God is a God whom you and I can trust completely or he's a God we should not trust at all. Jeremiah is saying... God has a bigger plan than any human can fully see. How we have needed it this past week, haven't we? And we are all horrified and deeply heartbroken about the evil massacre at First Baptist Church in Sutherland Spring, Texas. I don't remember a time with all the shootings we had where I felt a deeper heartache, where many were injured and 26 Image bearers of God and followers of Jesus Christ were killed, executed. The unmasking of such evil during a worship service overwhelms my heart and it stretches my mind to its finite limits. We cannot simply grasp how God could have allowed this, can we? And many non-believers in our culture, it seems, question the foolishness of our prayers. 
And yet one thing that has encouraged me in the midst of this horrific evil is that many of the church members I have heard interviewed have affirmed their continued faith in a loving and sovereign God. How is that possible? It is because they understand the foundational truth of those who flourish in exile. Brothers and sisters in Christ have the option to either reject God or to trust God who is absolutely sovereign. We may not face that unmasking of evil that close up, but in a culture like Babylon, evil is inevitably present. We as exiles have a daily decision to make, don't we? Will we trust God who is sovereign or won't we? Even if we don't fully understand his ways. What Jeremiah is reminding us is followers of Jesus now living in our own Babylonian culture. We can be confident that God is in control and will ultimately bring about the ultimate good end for those who follow him and his ways. The Apostle Paul reminds us in Romans 8, right? and we know, not we think, not we hope, and we know that for those who love God, all things ultimately work together for an ultimate good. So will you and I trust God in our individual lives, in our cultural moment? God who is sovereign, who has a bigger plan than any human can fully see. This is where Jeremiah begins his letter. Jeremiah gives the first reminder to all exiles how to flourish in life away from home in Babylon. And that is, first, we must trust a God who is absolutely sovereign over all. But notice the second reminder for flourishing in exile. And that is that we are to pursue the common good. Look at verses 5 through 6. His letter continues. Build houses, live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there, do not decrease. Jeremiah is saying, you're going to be in Babylon a long time, so make yourself at home away from home. Roll up your sleeves, get to work, and be fully there while you're there. In other words, we may say, Jeremiah is simply saying, bloom where you are sovereignly planted. Yes, even in Babylon. Now notice in verses 5 through 6, the string of interconnected imperative verbs. Build, live, plant, eat, get married, have babies. If you've read the scriptures, you know that Jeremiah is echoing Genesis chapter 1, almost verbatim. It is the cultural mandate given to Adam and Eve. And in Genesis 1.28, God says to Adam and Eve, what? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion. Jeremiah is restating the cultural mandate to the exiles. That is, to live fruitful lives is of the highest importance to exiles whenever or wherever we live. And the Hebrew word here in Genesis chapter 1 that describes fruitfulness has two ideas with it. Both procreativity and productivity. That is, having babies, lots of them, as well as working hard, very hard. Jeremiah's language of building houses, planting gardens, getting married, highlights these two aspects of the cultural mandate of fruitfulness. Jeremiah brilliantly in this text weaves together family, work, and economics in a seamless fabric of faithfulness. Faithfulness. True faithfulness leads to fruitfulness. 
And Jeremiah says to the exiles, Babylon may not be your home, but you are not just a passing through. Make yourself at home, away from home. So sometimes we hear well-meaning people say, this is not my world. This is not my home. I'm a just passing through. You ever heard that? But if we are discerning, we have to be careful about that language. Because sometimes it means a distortion. While it's true that this world is not our home, our ultimate home, it isn't true that we're just passing through. If we mean by that, what we do during this short time on earth doesn't really matter that much. This world may not be our home, but we ain't just a passing through. We've been given a very important work to do. While things of eternity matter a great deal, temporal things matter a good deal too. This is Jeremiah's point. It was C.S. Lewis, the brilliant Oxford professor, who said this so well. He said, those who think most about heaven do the most good on earth. What Jeremiah is saying is that what you do now matters. But what Jeremiah doesn't say to the exiles also should be considered for us. Notice in the text, Jeremiah is not bad-mouthing bad Babylon, right? He's not saying to the exiles, circle the wagon in a religious subcultural ghetto. Jeremiah is not advocating cultural isolation on one side or undiscerning simulation on the other. Instead, Jeremiah is advocating distinct and fruitful living, particularly in family life, work, and economic life. Pastor Tim Keller beautifully summarizes what Jeremiah is saying here when he says, God tells his people to increase, to retain their distinct community, their identity, and to grow. But he also tells them to settle down and engage in the life of the great city. While living in Babylon, they are not simply to increase their tribe in a ghetto within the city. They are to use their resources to benefit the common good. Jeremiah not only encourages the exiles to bloom where they are planted. Do not miss this. He encourages them. He instructs them to help others bloom where they are planted. Notice verse 7. He says, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you. There's that repetition again. Into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find welfare. Now most of us realize that a threefold repetition, so close together in literature, means an incredible emphasis. So this is a very important point. Three times, Jeremiah repeats this word that is translated welfare. The Hebrew word under this English word, welfare, is shalom. Most of us have probably heard of that. It is translated often in English, peace, but the translators in this text do not do that. Shalom, or welfare, is not just the absence of momentary conflict. It is the ubiquitous presence of well-being, comprehensive well-being of all human experience in all dimensions. In other words, Shalom describes life as God designed it in the Garden of Eden before sin and death entered the world. Shalom is life as God designed it to be. Now, the Christian Standard Version, 
which is a new Bible translation I increasingly like, both for its accuracy of the Hebrew text and its readability, captures the Hebrew meaning better here, I think. And let me just say this because I think this is the best translation. This text says, pursue the well-being of the city I have deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive. Notice the word pursue. Do you notice in the literary link that Jeremiah uses this very same word right again in verse 13? We must not miss the connection. Verse 13 is a pursuit of God's heart. And Jeremiah is saying the same way we pursue our spiritual love for God, we passionately pursue our love for the city. Don't miss that. Same level of passion and heart. Jeremiah is asserting a really big idea all of us need to hear this morning. And that is that God calls you and me not to live only in a particular city to live there, but to love our city. In other words, what Jeremiah is saying is a city is not only a place to live, but a place to love. To love. Jeremiah tells the exiles, hey, Love the people of Babylon. Love the city of Babylon. Now, don't love its horrific idolatry or its seemingly limitless immorality or its egregious sins of injustice. No, but love this broken city like I do for my sake. Jesus weeps over Jerusalem and he weeps over every broken city. Jeremiah is affirming here the importance of what theologians call common grace. Common grace is not something maybe you've heard of or know about, but it simply means this. It is a biblical doctrine all the way through Scripture that emphasizes the intrinsic value of every human being made in the image of God who is worthy of our respect, whether they believe as we do or not. Jesus emphasized over and over again common grace. In his famous sermon, He said, even the most sinful and ungrateful people receive God's goodness and creation from the Heavenly Father. Rain falls on everyone. Jesus affirmed common grace so much, he called his followers to love even their enemies. Wow. Jesus said to his followers, we are like salt and light. In other words, the common grace of our distinct deeds and work point others to God's goodness. Don't miss it, Jeremiah says, pray for the city. Common grace is really important. Common grace tills the fertile soil for saving grace of the gospel to take root in people's lives, especially in a culture of Babylon. As we embrace common grace, as we roll up our sleeves and actively seek the good of our city, even those who have not yet embraced Christ will benefit. Proverbs eleven ten says, when it goes well with the righteous, that means not self-righteous, it means people who love God, the entire city rejoices. Wow. And notice, do you notice in the text the reciprocal benefit that comes back to God's people? Jeremiah emphasizes this. He says, when Babylon thrives, you will thrive. Eugene Peterson says it this way. If things go well in Babylon, things are going to go well for you. Wow. In exile, we are not only called to bloom where we're planted, 
Don't miss this. Jeremiah says, help others bloom too. Pursuing the common good is a vital and essential stewardship for any follower of Jesus and for any faith community in his name. Pursuing the common good is not a distraction to our gospel mission. It is a vital part of our mission as servants of Christ and ambassadors for him. The Apostle Paul writes to Galatians, the Galatian church, a letter that is embedded in the core gospel. And he says in 6.10, So then as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who are the household of faith. That is the church. This is one of the reasons as a church family, we hold common good conferences in our city and bring people together to help collaborate in order to bless our city. This is why we partner as an organization, as a church, with the Hope Center, Care Portal, the Global Orphan Project, partner with City Union Mission and others around the, the whole city. This is why we are making the crucial gospel connection that is often missed to the importance of promoting economic flourishing for all. And if you have not read our latest book, The Economics of Neighbor Love, I encourage you to do this. It will help you know how you can pursue the common good and honor Christ's stewardship in your life. If we grasp what Jeremiah is asserting here to the exiles, we will see each of us, each of us has a stewardship responsibility to be fruitful, to flourish in our own lives, to help our neighbors flourish, and to pass on a flourishing economy to future generations should the Lord tarry. If common grace matters so much in exile, if pursuing the common good matters so much to our gospel mission, how do we do it? How do we do it? Jeremiah tells us here that we are to avoid cultural separation on one side as well as cultural accommodation. That we are to live as God's people in a distinctive purity and close proximity in that tension. Sociologist James Davison Hunter speaks of timely word to the church in Babylon. when He says we are to live a faithful presence within our culture. So how do we do that? Let me suggest four takeaways. If you have a piece of paper, I'd like you to write this down as we think about our stewardship individually and collectively. Four takeaways this morning. The first is this. Live the gospel well. A faithful presence is a gospel presence, a gospel witness. Paul reminds us in chapter 1 of Romans that the gospel is the very power of God to salvation to anyone who believes. And we need to grasp that the greatest human impoverishment is not economic poverty, as brutal as that is. It is spiritual poverty. The poorest person on the planet is the one who is separated from Almighty God because of their sin and are facing a Christless eternity. Have you embraced the gospel? Do you know Christ? There is no greater way or more important way, you and I can pursue the common good and to embrace the gospel and become Jesus' yoked apprentice. We need to realize the gospel not only transforms individual lives, it powerfully influences a culture and promotes the common good. Let's remember the gospel properly understood is a message to proclaim as well as a seamless life we live in all of life. What we often see in a Babylonian world 
a world in which we are now immersed in as a culture, an increasing secular culture in America, the gospel will often need to be seen before it is truly heard. Pursuing the common good means we live the gospel well, both in living it out before others and sharing it with others. Who has God prepared in your life this week, at school, at work, at home, to share the good news of Christ with? Second takeaway is serve your family well. A faithful presence begins at home. It is not insignificant that Jeremiah places so much emphasis in the text on family life in exile. Because God designed the family to be the most essential foundation for human and cultural flourishing. A marriage and the fa- as marriage and family goes, the culture goes. And Jeremiah is saying that even when exile families thrive, a pagan city like Babylon begins to thrive. Sounds like salt and light to me. Christ community, we are deeply committed to encourage you, to equip you to embrace God's design for your family life. No matter your marital status or your season of life, this matters deeply to all of us here. I encourage you to take advantage of things we're doing, like the Jen Wilkin opportunity in parenting. We also work around the city with other organizations and our sister church Christian fellowship as they specifically reach out to so many broken inner city families at such grave risk that we should care about. If you are a stay-at-home spouse, if you are a stay-at-home spouse right now, if God's called you there in your vocational calling to raise children, Let me say how important your calling is to God, to us, and to the common good of our city and our nation. You may be unpaid, but your work matters. God-glorifying work is spiritually forming a virtuous next generation. I can't think of anything more important right now. And if you are single, Are you caring for your extended family, your church family? If you are married, are you making your marriage a priority, friends? Are you cultivating intimacy? If your marriage is struggling, let us know. Because we want to help you, and we want to get you help. How do we pursue the common good? We live the gospel well. Secondly, we serve our families well in exile. Third, we do our work well. A faithful presence shows up at work every day, whether you are paid or not paid for that work. From cradle to grave, we were created to contribute, to add value to others. And one of the most important ways you contribute to the common good of a society and a nation and a globe is through the work you do every day. Dorothy Sayers, the brilliant Brit, said it well when she captured our vocational stewardship. She said, the only Christian work is good work well done. She's right. Christ community, we are deeply committed to equip and encourage you to be faithful and fruitful in your daily vocational callings. We believe a primary work of the church is the church at work. And a primary way we love our neighbors, both local and global, is through the global economy that we participate in. So let me ask you, if Jesus gave you a job review this year, what would Jesus say? Matthew 25, in his compelling parable, says exactly that. That Jesus will give us a job review at the end of our life. Your vocational stewardship matters. 
We don't worship our work. That's idolatry. But our work is one of the most important parts of our worship. One of the most important ways we pursue the common good. See, a culture thrives. A city thrives when good work thrives. Live the gospel well. Love your family well. Do your work well. And last, love your city well. A faithful presence loves the city God has placed us in. Neighborly love is primarily lived out in work and economic life. Neighborly love, properly understood in the great commandment, compels us to care for the vulnerable. It addresses systemic injustice. It helps us create jobs. It expands educational and economic opportunity. But what does this look like for us who live in Kansas City? This is an important question for all of us. Author and cultural observer and friend of Christ's community, Andy Crouch, says it brilliantly. And he said it at our Common Good Conference, one of them. He said this, A measure of loving our city well is when the most vulnerable in our city flourish. So all of us must wrestle with this question of responsibility and prayer. Are the most vulnerable in our city flourishing? And if not, what's our responsibility to address that? See, we are called not only to live in our city, Jeremiah says, but to love our city. So let's recommit ourselves as gospel people to pursue the common good. And that means to live the gospel well, to serve our family well, to do our work well, and to love our city well. Jesus gives, or Jeremiah gives the exiles three truths to remember in exile. First, trust a sovereign God no matter what. Secondly, pursue the common good. And third, embrace true hope. Notice verses 10 through 14. Look at verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for wholeness, that means shalom, for flourishing and not for evil, to give you a future and hope. While Jeremiah spoke of a future restoration and a return to the Jerusalem homeland, we must not miss that Jeremiah had more in mind here. Jeremiah looks down the corridors of time to a day future when God's covenant people would be in the new Jerusalem, their ultimate home in the new heavens and new earth. It will be the paradise that was lost in a garden long ago. It will be a paradise that is regained in a beautiful city one day. The night before his crucifixion, Jesus gathered his fearful disciples around him and spoke of this future hope that Jeremiah spoke of. Ultimate hope in our hearts what our hearts so desperately long for. In John 14, we read Jesus' very hopeful words that echo from Jeremiah. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Jesus and Jeremiah remind us, there is no place like home. We're also reminded very painfully and challenged in our life, we're not home yet. So how do we as exiles live in the meantime, in Babylon, until Jesus returns? Jeremiah reminds us, in fresh ways I trust, 
that in the midst of a Babylonian nation and culture, we can and must trust a sovereign God. We can and must pursue the common good of our city. We can and must love our city for Christ's sake. For our city is not only a place to live. It is a place to truly love. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, how grateful we are, not only for your common grace, but your saving grace in our lives. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, the rain fell on the just and the unjust. Father, may we long for our ultimate home. But we ain't there yet. And may we be fully present. Right now, right here, until you come. May we love our city and pursue the common good for your glory and praise. Amen.